0: science.
1: Hello, everybody. We're back with CBG Radio, and we're here for a new episode today. We don't need no goddamn sponsors. We're just here to talk about health, fitness, and everything else related. And we have a special guest on today. Her name is Lauren Brakowski. I think that's Polish. And she's extremely passionate about overall health and fitness and wellness. And because of her own battles with health, Uh, She's going down with her personal experiences to share with others and to coach others. So she received her health coaching certification from the Institute for Integrative Nutrition, went on to get her master's degree in clinical nutrition and integrative health from Maryland University of Integrative Health. She's an avid CrossFitter. She competes in local competitions. And as a nutrition coach, she takes a holistic health background-based approach and her knowledge of sports and performance to bridge the gap between aesthetics and performance and health for longevity. So she's able to help a lot of clients with performance and their results in a gym and educate them on how to nourish their body for a lifetime. And she is the newest coach at Consistency Breeds Growth. So Lauren, what's up?
0: Hi, how are you? <laughs>
1: Good. Did, is your last name actually Polish or am I? did I just like...
0: It is. It's No, you didn't butcher it. You got it right. It's Burkowski. <laughs>
1: Okay, I got it. Uh, my wife's maiden name is uh, Samalowitz, but it's like in Polish, it's like Sima Like it's some crazy. Luckily, no one ever has to say it anymore because it's like super Yeah, that super sounds long. pretty
0: difficult. <laughs> yeah,
1: it's like S-Z-Y-M-I-A-L-O-W. Ski. Oh my gosh. Yeah, it's crazy.
0: Yeah, anything that ends in ski, you can pretty much guarantee there's some sort of Polish yeah thing going on there.
1: Yeah, exactly. So... Awesome. I want to know a little bit about your journey when it comes to gut health. You know, so like you, um, you know, we've talked a lot about this before, and a lot of, mm-hmm. um, you know, people's experiences shape who they become, what careers they partake in, and things like that. So, how did you get started on all of this, and what's sort of your story?
0: Yeah. So, I actually got diagnosed with an autoimmune condition called ulcerative colitis when I was 19 years old. So I was in the middle of college. um, And I actually originally went to college for a fashion merchandising degree. Mm -hmm. And but throughout college, I, you know, I got diagnosed and I had a lot of ups and downs with my disease. I, you know, I got I was in the hospital for a little while. I had to take off work for a little while. had to take off school. You know, it really affected my life. And upon getting diagnosed, I, of course, went to a traditional gastrointestinal like GI doctor. Yeah. Um, He told me I had this. And he was like, okay, yeah, you're 19 years old. But what you're going to have to do is take this medication for your entire life. But you'll be fine. Like nutrition, you can eat whatever you want and it'll be fine. So that was all well and good. And I did that for a little while, but what ended up happening to me was the medication started to have side effects that you really don't want to be dealing with, especially a 19 year old, you know, like away at college. Yeah. Um, and it was side effects that, that pulled me out of classes for a little while. So what I ended up doing was I, I did a little research on my own and I discovered that, yes, nutrition does play a huge role in a disease like this. Um, and basically with the side effects of the medication, I wanted to try to do this without the medication and just do it like through nutrition and lifestyle and manage it that way. But, but that took a while and essentially what ended up happening was while I was doing that for a couple of years, and I was still taking some medication, but topically instead of orally, so it didn't have as many side effects, I ended up having a really bad flare-up when I was around like 25 years old, mm-hmm. and I landed in the hospital for a week. And I couldn't eat. I was like living off my couch. I couldn't even get up to get myself a glass of water. Like I was in such bad shape. So when I was in the hospital, they were like, the only thing that we can really recommend doing for you is putting you on a medication, it was called Remicade. Um, And I had to take that intravenously every eight weeks, I had to go to an outpatient uh, program to get that. But that in and of itself had its own side effects. And those were side effects that I couldn't live with. So again, I went down a rabbit hole of research. And I kind of discovered integrative medicine, functional medicine. I went to see an integrative practitioner and she was basically how I got into all this and told me what could affect my gut health in terms of nutrition, quality of nutrition, my environment, just things that I had no idea I even had to look out for. And then from there, I was like, oh my God, like I have to spread what I know. I have to spread this knowledge. So I decided to become a health coach through the Institute for Integrative Nutrition, get that certification. But I really wanted to continue that education and really dive deeper. So that's when I decided to go for my master's in clinical nutrition and integrative health, which is what I'm currently doing. And I will soon be graduated from that and be a certified clinical nutritionist. <laughs> So long-winded answer, I know, but it was a long, long journey with health. But essentially, I just needed to get what I know out there. And I love to help other people. I feel like it's really my true calling in life. And yeah, I just, I needed to get that information out there. So this is this is what I came to do. <laughs>
1: That's awesome. Yeah, no, obviously your, sh- your story like really shapes your background, your ability to help others mm-hmm. and want to improve the gut health and, you know, overall health uh, and wellness uh, of people. Because for you, like, uh, you know, you were put in a position where, you know, this severely affected uh, your everyday mm-hmm. life, right? Yeah. And I think other people that have ulcerative colitis or other autoimmune-based diseases are just bad gut health in general. You know, it's uh, it, it can be extremely, extremely difficult to live with. My uh, wife has celiac disease, and if she gets yeah. even like a, I don't know, just if it's cooked in the same area, um, yeah, you know, she gets the, these flare ups, which are um, yeah, I mean, they're just difficult to deal with, and it affects you and everyone else around you, and it's uh, a bummer. So yeah, you no, know, thanks for sharing. That's awesome, and I, yeah, I think that. Thank you. Yeah, for, for people that, you know, the the gut health and everything, it's a huge buzzword. Like it's everywhere now and there's more and more uh, literature coming out and, you know, about, you know, how to control gut health and increase, uh, you know, improve the gut in general. So I want to start by actually describing the process of when we get food into our mouth and then what happens at from the beginning to the end. Let's just start there. Yeah.
0: Sure. So digestion actually involves two processes. So there's physical and there's chemical. And during the physical process, the food is mixed and moved throughout the GI tract. And then during the chemical process of digestion, it involves like the release of water, acid, enzymes to be mixed with the food to further break it down. So the digestive system itself is composed of the mouth, esophagus, stomach, small intestine, large intestine, colon, rectum, and the anus. So there are four steps in the overall process, which includes the ingestion of food, the mechanical and chemical breakdown of that food, uh, the nutrient absorption, and the elimination of the indigestible food. So to start even before you eat, when you smell a food or even like think about a food, digestion begins. So saliva, starts to form in your mouth at this point. So step one, the food goes into your mouth and your saliva helps break that down what you're eating through like certain enzymes. From the mouth, it goes down into the esophagus. So once your food is broken down from the saliva and chewing, it moves through your esophagus uh, through a process called peristalsis. So basically, that's the tightening and relaxation of the muscles in the intestines to support like the transfer of food and waste products and basically just allows the food to move more uh, smoothly through the digestive tract and also enables the food to only move in the single direction. So from the esophagus, the food goes into the stomach. So the stomach has three main jobs to store food, to mechanically and chemically break down that food and to empty partially broken down food into the small intestine. So think of the stomach as like a mixer. So it's like churning and mashing together all the food that came down from the esophagus into pieces. And the way it does this is with the help of the muscles in the walls of the stomach and also gastric juices like hydrochloric acid, acid and pepsin. So in addition to breaking down that food, the gastric juices also help kill bacteria that might be in the eat food. Food. So from the stomach, the food then goes to the small intestine. So the small intestine is where most of your nutrients are absorbed, like all the vitamins, minerals, proteins, carbs, and fats. So Mm -hmm. the food is broken down even more in the small intestine by enzymes that are released from the pancreas, gallbladder, bile, and liver. And those organs send different juices to the first part of the small intestine. So these juices help digest the food and allow the body to absorb the nutrients. So the pancreas essentially makes juices to help the body digest fats and proteins. A juice from the liver called the bile helps to absorb fats into the bloodstream. And the gallbladder serves as essentially like a warehouse for bile, storing it until the body needs it. So eventually the food becomes like a thin watery mixture that the body can move all the nutrients from the food into the blood, and that's where the body can use it. So it is worth noting that the nutrient-rich blood goes directly for the, to the liver for processing. So the liver actually filters out harmful substances or waste, um, turning some of the waste into more bile, and the liver helps figure out how many nutrients will go to the rest of the body, where it will go, that sort of thing. And then anything left in the small intestine essentially moves into the large intestine and the colon. So in the large intestine, no further chemical or mechanical breakdown of food takes place unless it's accomplished like by the bacteria that inhabit the portion of the digestive tract. So this is the body is essentially the body gets its last chance to absorb water and some minerals into the blood. So the bacteria in the large intestine actually synthesize essential nutrients such as like vitamin k short-chain fatty acids which are all essential for our health and then also some from undigested fiber too and then uh, minerals such as like sodium and potassium are absorbed as well and then from there as the water leaves the waste product that's when it gets harder and essentially becomes a solid which is the waste that goes through
1: that gets excreted from the body
0: so that's that's kind of digestion in a nutshell
1: (laughs) yeah that's a lot of different pathways, and that's not even talking about the metabolic pathways in which, like, the food gets broken down, uses energy, Krebs cycle, all these other things, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah. yeah, the human physiology <laughs> is a complex thing, but it's a evolved working machine, you know? Uh, mm-hmm, it, yeah. It can do all these things sort of, you know, synergistically as it goes from, mm-hmm. you know, one part of the body from just smelling food those senses into total digestion, absorption, and excretion. So mm-hmm. yeah, that's, uh, that's incredible. I, um, I gut health really, to me, didn't become important until about like a year ago. And I've been a nutrition coach for yeah. like five or six years. So like, um, <laughs> I think that that's like pretty crazy. I know that constantly we're learning new things about nutrition and mm-hmm. Gut health seems to be one of the things that people are becoming more and more aware of. Mm -hmm. Why do you think that it's been overlooked for such a long period of time?
0: So there's a few reasons why this could be, but I really think that like it's been in the past 10 years where more and more studies have been coming out around gut health and its actual involvement in all the different processes of our body and why it's so important to have a healthy gut. Like, for example, the gut is responsible for like not only nutrient absorption, but it's your skin health, like your mood, your cravings, psychological health. Like it plays a role in things like anxiety and depression, which is so important to note and to realize because people don't, necessarily relate gut health to psychological health but then not only that but it also plays a role in like your hormones and pms like symptoms it's it's literally your second brain and again like i think it's been overlooked for so long because it's fairly new like in the past 10 years and i like to say and i've heard this a lot but like people don't know what they don't know so when someone has symptoms when someone has gi symptoms their first avenue to really go down is okay I have GI symptoms I'm going to go see a GI doctor but depend and it really depends on the doctor and their background but a typical western medicine doctor is going to be like okay you have let's say Gerd like acid reflux I'm going to give you this this medication to help alleviate that but it's not really getting to the root cause as to why you have that Gerd so once you get that medication from the doctor you might, if the medication like works for you and you're happy with it, you're, you're not going to necessarily dive deeper into that and go down like a rabbit hole of research like I did. But also like that, that GI doctor isn't necessarily going to talk about the nutrition aspect either because typically Western medicine doctors don't have that training in nutrition. So they're just going to look at your symptoms, give you a medication and, you're going to go about your merry little way, but it's not until something else happens or your symptoms aren't alleviated that you're going to go down that rabbit hole and discover like a world of functional medicine or holistic medicine and discover that there's like so much more to it. But I think the gap in Western medicine definitely contributes to this information about gut health, not being in the mainstream And that also the research is fairly new. So it's just starting to catch on, especially as more and more people are starting to deal with these chronic digestive symptoms and people are starting to question why that is happening and why people are experiencing all these chronic issues, not all of a sudden, but kind of in, in recent years, like the numbers have definitely jumped up in terms of people dealing with chronic conditions. So I think it's just a lack of getting that knowledge out into the mainstream.
1: Yeah. Yeah, no, it makes total sense, and I think, uh, like I said before, like it does take time for enough research to accumulate for pe- for it to actually get noticed, and uh, right. and then yeah, after that, it obviously takes time for the mainstream media to or whoever's you know talking about science in general and has a platform to talk about science to uh, provide some information. So I guess we can just yeah. do our part uh, at least with this podcast to you know maybe provide more insight into mm-hmm. gut health and the microbiota in general, you know? Yeah, so many, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you said so many interesting things there as it's, you know, sort of the second brain that has like so many different, you know, nerve cells and neurons in the stomach compared to the brain and you know, how a lot of people aren't really able to, they're, they're taking a sick care approach instead of a healthcare approach, which is what we see exactly. right now everywhere. And right. we, we're also seeing it with the gut. So You know, in your opinion, I mean, obviously there's a lot of different uh, scenarios here, but, you know, how does someone start to go about, like, for for someone that has any type of pain or their bowel movements aren't correct, what are some of these issues with the gut that people are experiencing symptom-wise, and what are they likely experiencing, or how do you, you know, diagnose where these issues are coming from for people?
0: So this could be many different things. So where the issues stem from could be from a multitude of different things, like from the standard American diet to the quality of food. Like if you're looking at organic versus non-organic versus like environmental stressors to the cleaning products we use, different infections, skincare, stress and emotion, all of this plays a part in gut health in terms of, like so i like to look at toxic burden as a whole when I'm, when i'm talking about gut health in general and where these issues are stemming from so you really have to look at what you're ingesting on a daily basis what you come in contact with on a daily basis because all these things play a role in the health of your gut microbiome and if you are constantly ingesting like certain toxins from like pesticides and herbicides in food or like Um, If you're putting like different things on your skin or using different cleaning agents um, that involve chemicals, then you can be susceptible to things like leaky gut. So that can look like random food sensitivities popping up, like if you have leaky gut, because what essentially happens is the food that you're ingesting leaks out into the bloodstream. And then your body starts to attack that food. And that's what gives you the symptoms, so leaky gut can cause anything from like chronic fatigue to random um, food sensitivities popping up that you never really had before. Um, and then also this toxic burden and your toxic load can contribute to dysbiosis, which is essentially imbalance in the gut bacteria. And then you start to not be able to digest certain foods as well. And then you start to get psychological symptoms or like depression or migraines or things like that. So everything that you do on a daily basis contributes to a healthy gut in terms of the microbiome and healthy bacteria versus quote unquote bad bacteria and which bacteria can thrive. So when you have that dysbiotic gut, you're really looking at like new food sensitivities, you're looking at pain, you're looking at constipation, diarrhea, abnormalities, just all the things.
1: <laughs> yeah. No, that's that's uh that's amazing. And I think like some of these uh you know exogenous chemicals like that are in cleaners, the pesticides, I mean mm-hmm. people used to spray DDT on each other's heads <laughs> you yeah, know, oh like in the sixties. 60- yeah. You know, so like <laughs> once your body comes across some of that stuff, like the, the liver is not as resilient as it, um, you know, as we believe it to be. If, you know, you're coming right. across ingesting a lot of these different foods and different preservatives that are in foods. I mean, it's always been at least my belief prior to learning more about gut health that, it, you know, from for the, for the majority of people, you just need to focus on calories because you probably need to lose weight and that's going to help improve things. But you also need to be making sure that you're not Losing weight by just eating pints of ice cream and processed dairy right, and other exactly. things. Right. Because that does uh, you know, a huge impact on that. And why we don't like the if it fits your macros approach typically is that people can get their protein, carbs, and fat and eat whatever the hell they want. right? And then they right. come up with these yeah. digestive issues and we have no idea why. Because we uh, haven't given, given them any uh, guidelines on intuitive eating and understanding what foods uh, you know, protect the gut or improve gut resiliency versus not. And it doesn't mean like some of those foods are totally off limits or that they're bad foods, mm-hmm. but it's understanding that they need to be done in moderation. And that's from a weight loss perspective as well as a gut health perspective, right? Um, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um,
0: I, I really think that like in terms of like eating macros, like people, yeah, it could be a great thing as far as weight loss is concerned, but you really have to do it from – a, a healthy micronutrient standpoint as well and just make sure that you're getting everything you need from the, those micronutrients so that your body can function properly and you're not going to wake up one day and be like, oh, where did, where did all these gut problems come from Like all of a sudden? So it's, it's really important to look at not only the macronutrients, but the micronutrients as well.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And a coach assessing that seems to be fairly important. You know, I mean, those, mm-hmm. those yeah. micronutrients, vitamins, minerals have significant play with our immune system and uh, you know right now as we're dealing with you know still dealing with covid-19 and possibly a second wave you know you need mm-hmm. some of those things you know to help the metabolism function appropriately right yeah um and you know e- you know thermo equilibrium you know like uh, your body temperature core temperature like your yeah. metabolism and you know like i said the your your immune system all those things are really important and they're important for the gut as well so mm-hmm. I think that that's uh, that's extremely important for people to recognize in terms of chemicals. So people are going to ask this, mm-hmm. and you're like, what chemicals? You didn't yeah. say. <laughs> so what are some of the, <laughs> the the chemicals and preservatives that you think, at least, is amongst the scientific consensus, is something to be looking out for? You know, in large amounts or even yeah. moderate amounts.
0: Yeah. So when you're looking at things like processed foods and the chemicals that are in processed foods, you really want to look for things like emulsifiers and artificial sweeteners, refined vegetable oils, and then also pesticides and herbicides, which pesticides and herbicides won't necessarily be on a label. Like, you right. won't actually put that out there. But things like when you're looking at oatmeal or anything processed with like a grain or like something like granola or things like that. Or even just if you're looking at vegetables that aren't organic, certain vegetables, like they're going to be sprayed with those pesticides and herbicides, and all of these things have an effect on your gut. So, let's just say you're looking at a label. So, things like poly, there's something called polysorbate 80, and then also um, carboxymethylcellulose. And both of those things are emulsifiers. So, Polysorbate 80 actually decreases the beneficial bacteria in your gut, but not only that, it can actually feed the pathogenic bacteria, which then leads to increased gut inflammation, which can lead to weight gain. So think of things like heavy cream, bottled sauces, dressing, those things that combine liquids and fats, that's going to be that stabilizer, and that's what you have to look out for something like that. The, carby, the carboxymethylcellulose is also an emulsifying agent, but it's used as like a thickening agent. So it causes gut inflammation by immediately, like it messes with your gene expression in your gut bacteria. And just, it's a very, it produces like a very gut irritating protein. So things like, again, like milk, cream, fruit juices, cream cheese, cottage cheese, anything like thick like gelatinous foods, gelatinous mm-hmm. foods. Yeah. That's where that would be. That's where you would find that. And then you have to look out for things like artificial sweeteners like aspartame and uh Splenda. So basically if you're looking in terms of like Splenda. So it was it essentially decreases the beneficial bacteria in your gut, but then not only that, it actually has been shown in studies to heighten liver enzymes. Which can interfere with absorbing your nutrients so again you're going to find things like diet soda sugar-free products um, protein powders can contain this pre-workout drinks they often contain something called sucralose which is essentially Splenda, which is pretty damaging to the gut and then aspartame is another artificial artificial sweetener so it changes the type of gut bacteria um, and then can make your body worse at processing sugar um, so things like diet soda and all diet products would could contain aspartame. And then another thing to look at that I mentioned is the refined vegetable oils like canola oil. So these cause inflammation. And over time, this inflammation can compromise the lining of your intestines and allow partially digested food particles to pass into your bloodstream. And like I mentioned, something called leaky gut. So these really contribute to the onset of leaky gut. So you really want to look out for those on labels. And then lastly, like the pesticides and herbicides that I mentioned, glyphosate is a huge one here. Or like, in other words, a weed killer or a roundup. They spray it on the food to essentially keep the bugs off, but then you're ingesting that. So again, this would not be on a nutrition label, but when buying things like oats and non-organic vegetables and things like that, you really want to go for organic Um, especially in things like this where it matters because they, for most things, they can't use glyphosate on organic products. So not only is glyphosate classified as a possible carcinogen, but it disrupts the balance of the gut bacteria. And when it's disrupted like this, it can lead to, you know, like I mentioned, the development of food sensitivities and intolerances. Right. It's just known to really damage the gut brian, so you really just want to be careful at what you're what you're buying. And then, lastly, I would just say, like, you gotta like on labels look for like things like BPA's, BPS, and BP,
1: mm-hmm.
0: uh, BPF. <laughs> so BPA has been known to damage the gut bacteria and increase risk for irritable bowel syndrome and also colorectal cancer. But it also mimics estrogen, which disrupts your hormones. yep and now. I know like BPA is definitely becoming less common these days because all this information has been put out there. But what companies are now doing is labeling bottles like BPA free. But when they do this, it usually means that the manufacturers have replaced that BPA with things like BPS and BPF, which there is research to suggest that these are actually no better than BPA. So you really want to try to limit or avoid food foods and drinks that are packaged in plastic containers or aluminum cans and things like that.
1: Yeah. So the glyphosate that you were talking about before, so that's in Roundup. So a lot of people use that as like a weed yeah. killer and other things like that. And that has come out mm-hmm. to cause, you know, in large amounts to act as a carcinogen, not yeah. large, relatively large, you know what I mean? And then, yeah, you obviously want to watch out for you know large amounts of stevia and you know aspartame and these other artificial artificial sweeteners in regards to mm-hmm. gut health specifically. So the interesting thing here is like people think that they're doing a good job by taking in zero calorie foods, um, <laughs> and for weight loss you are right. Yeah. But uh, when yeah. it comes to overall gut health, you may be compromising you know your gut health and you may, you may not see it right away. Like you'll drink a diet coke, you'll feel fine, right? And then you mm-hmm. drink two to three diet cokes every day for 10 years and uh, then you're, (laughs) you know, then you're really in trouble. Um, The other thing you said about BPA. So yeah, this is at least my understanding is that this is a uh, severe, um, you know, endocrine disruptor um, for for people. And it is uh, present in a lot of different plastic bottles. And I've I'm a synthetic chemist and was a synthetic chemist in the pesticide industry. Uh, I wasn't making Mm -hmm. pesticides, but um, I was uh, actually, I wasn't coming up with novel pesticides. I was making pesticides that companies and other things uh, had been developed and are banned. And then colleges, Mm -hmm. universities, and testing facilities could use our compounds as a standard to test against, you know, what is the level of it in the water or whatever. So um, I worked on... I, made, I like extracted hundreds of grams of glyphosate out of Roundup uh, as, a, as an oh internal gosh. standard, um, like NEAT, you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, yeah, and um, you know, I worked on uh, some PC, uh, PCOS compounds. And, you know, what happens, you, you find that there are so many different derivatives of these compounds. So for BPA, one derivative is BPS. So BPA is bisphenol A. Um, mm-hmm. So this is a compound that's fo- found in you know a lot of plastics, as you mentioned. And when they ban BPA, what companies do is they just make a derivative of BPA. So they make a right. compound like BPS, for example, or BPF, right? So these structurally are slightly different than BPA, but the body actually recognize them, recognizes them very similarly, and they still exactly. act as hormone disruptors in the body right um so Mm -hmm. since it's not banned because it's not bpa right it's bps um (laughs) yeah (laughs) you know they have to come up with uh testing and other things and then eventually that gets banned and they move on to the next thing they move on to the next thing um so just because it says bpa free doesn't mean there isn't a bpa derivative that is not currently banned by european union or or you know whoever else is regular you know regulating a lot of these um, these different compounds, both in the U.S. and outside, right? Right, exactly. Um, so yeah, so I think that that's uh, super informative for people to know because uh, a lot of people buy BPA-based stuff, but you know, what do you think that they're using as preservatives in their plastic if they don't have BPA? Yeah. They're using something else that's potentially harmful. So- You know, if you can stay away from plastic in general, I mean. Exactly, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's the idea. Yeah. Just
0: just try to stay away. Like, I I like to just buy glass where I can. And then also in terms of, like, ingredients lists, like, I just – my rule of thumb is to just stick to a short ingredients list that you can actually pronounce the ingredients in. (laughs) Yeah. Like – Good rule I'm to stick to by far. Yeah, because
1: yeah, everybody is not a chemist or a nutritionist; they cannot look through and search every single chemical that they're putting into their body and stuff. So, yeah, um, exactly. that's a good rule of thumb. And then if you get fruits and vegetables, uh, try to stay organic. And if you can't, make sure you thoroughly wash uh, all of your fruits and vegetables um, as much as possible. Um,
0: yeah, and really and just that. another note on that: you can also like not every vegetable has to be. I mean, yes, ideally buy it organic, but you can also refer to the EWG, the dirty dozen list. And then you can just prioritize buying the dirty dozen organic. And then you can buy the rest of the, you know, the rest of the vegetables on the list conventional. And that can actually just save you money and just time, like trying to figure out which ones, which ones to buy organic and which ones actually matter, you know?
1: Excellent. Yeah, that's awesome. Another weird thing about gut health and diagnosing people you know, is, and we talked about this a little bit, but people understanding what the difference is between like an autoimmune condition is like celiac disease versus what an intolerance is versus what a sensitivity Mm -hmm. is. Because a lot of people are like, I'm carb intolerant, or I have a, you know, a gluten sensitivity. Right. And I think that these, these words are kind of just floating around everywhere and people use them synonymously, but they're actually not the same thing. Right.
0: Right. Right. So celiac disease, like you mentioned, it is an autoimmune condition. So this is where the ingestion of gluten actually leads to damage in the small intestine. And then those with celiac have impaired absorption of nutrients because of that damage. So if someone with celiac were to consume gluten, they can also have a very serious, serious reaction, depending, of course, on the severity of their disease. So they, they could be like an anaphylactic shock. They, can, they would need to go to the hospital or things like that. Um, In terms of like food intolerance and food sensitivity, it is worth noting. So like there's something also food allergy that comes like a step down from like an autoimmune condition. Mm -hmm. So this is like an IgE response, like an immediate response to a food or a foreign substance. And this is like your anaphylactic reaction. So then when you get into food intolerance, So this mostly refers to the body's inability to process or digest certain foods. And a good example of a food intolerance would be, you know, someone that has lactose intolerance. So our bodies simply, when you have a food intolerance, don't have the enzymes to break that specific food down. And then also, so food sensitivity, so there is controversy around like what exactly happens to the body in someone with a food sensitivity. But essentially, the exposure to a specific food may create an immune reaction that generates like a multitude of symptoms, but not like an anaphylactic reaction or anything like that. Like these symptoms are not life-threatening, but they can be quite disruptive to the body. But these can include anything from like joint pain, stomach pain, fatigue, rashes, brain fog. Um, of course, gluten is one of the best-known trigger for food sensitivities, but it's just a difference in Reaction, so you can essentially digest the food, but your body might not react to it well, and you might get this multitude of symptoms, whereas the food intolerance your body literally cannot digest this food, and you might have the other symptoms as well, so the joint pain, stomach pain, and things like that so it really just depends what you're what you 're thinking in terms of like I have a food insensi- I have food sensitivity versus a food allergy like if you're not getting that immediate reaction, you likely don't have a food allergy, you more have a like an intolerance or a sensitivity.
1: Okay, so a sensitivity is maybe the 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 bottom of the totem pole here in terms of symptoms. Is that fair to right. say? Okay. And you can have a sensitivity to almost every food? Is that something that are there some more common than others, like I know what intolerance is, like people have a lactose mm-hmm. intolerance, right? Like that's very common. Right. Um, but with sensitivities, are there some foods that are people are more likely to be triggered by just so that people can uh, at least have an understanding like with what foods that they ate so they can maybe self-diagnose themselves or something like that? Yeah.
0: So as far as like food sensitivities, the common ones are definitely number one being gluten, number two being dairy, Certain types of grains people can really react to, and then depending on the person, if you really want to dig deeper into it, they they can have intolerances to um, something like nightshade vegetables. It really it really just depends on the person, and sensitivities can literally be anything. But those are just those are some of the common ones, like definitely gluten, dairy, grains, nightshade vegetables.
1: Okay, yeah, that's super helpful. Uh, for for people because I think some people think that they have something but they're not able to pinpoint like which food so if you know like what some of the common ones are uh, it helps people have a little bit of a better understanding yeah, for sure. in terms mm-hmm. of those like food sensitivity tests those like those immune response tests that people get right like uh, everything yeah. well or so are these uh, we, we have a partnership with Genopalette, which is a separate thing it's based on dna and genotyping right which is which mm-hmm. is different but the the food sensitivity tests themselves are they are they helpful for people to understand if they have uh sensitivities to particular foods or not
0: so personally i like in my own practice i don't like to use food sensitivity food sensitivity tests because yeah. it's actually just considered like a moment in time like what your body is reacting to at that moment just like your and blood work yes, you know yeah, exactly. Yeah. And like yeah, it could be helpful for you as to what to avoid at this specific moment in time in order to improve your gut health and initiate healing. However, that's going to change and it can change pretty rapidly depending on how your gut microbiome changes and how you how different you change up your diet and what you're what you're feeding your gut. So, you can be sensitive to something one week and then two weeks later you might not be. So it really just depends. So what I really like to do is an elimination diet, which is really removing a lot of the common foods or anything that the client would suspect that they have some sort of reaction to for about four to six weeks, and then slowly introduce, reintroduce one food at a time Yes, and introduce it in small amounts over a period of days. And just to monitor any reactions and, you you might not get an initial instant reaction. It could take it could actually take like thirty six hours for a reaction to a food to pop up. So you really have to do this slowly over a period of time when you're reintroducing. And then like if you eliminate the foods, you heal your gut, and then you um, want to reintroduce the foods, and then you reintroduce and you have some sort of reaction, then you want to look at okay maybe my body just doesn't do well with this kind of food.
1: Right. Yeah, I like that approach a lot better. And I tell people to save their money on those food sensitivity tests for that reason.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, it, ma-
1: it makes a lot of sense. Like uh, with our <laughs> genopalate testing, like with the DNA, it's a little different, right? Like that's like your DNA and your your genetic profile as well as your epigenetic profile.
0: Oh, yeah, that's um, completely I actually I saw I saw the test. I thought it was so cool what they come up with.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's <laughs> a lot of different. Yeah. It's a lot of different stuff, you know, and it's really good to experiment with. And uh, it allows us to customize people's diets a little more. So like, a lot of coaches can do the basic customization stuff now, good coaches anyway. So we like to go a little bit further beyond that. And if you can incorporate the DNA data, it's been shown to really, uh, really help people, uh, especially a lot of our weight loss clients uh, understand a little bit more about what foods that they do and don't uh, metabolize better than others, you know?
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: Um, And speaking of weight loss, um, since a lot of our clients and athletes are targeting weight loss. How does gut health and the microbiota affect weight loss and more specifically like body fat loss, right? Because most people are not looking to lose weight by losing muscle.
0: Right, exactly. So the microbiome actually kind of acts indirectly on weight loss. So your gut bacteria have roles in your digestion, your fat storage, your hunger, all of which have major impacts on your weight, right? So, different types of bacteria perform different jobs in your colon, and the microbial diversity helps control your metabolism and, in turn, your body weight. So, essentially, in studies, like different bacteria have been associated in preventing weight gain, but also contributing to weight gain. So, and then also, there have been studies like, so the gut microbiome of individuals who are overweight show patterns of dysbiosis compared to healthy individuals. Um, And ultimately, this is associated with inflammation, increased blood sugar, and people can actually carry around like five to 25 pounds worth of inflammation alone, (laughs) which is actually insane, Um, yeah. And once you target that inflammation and you work on really like cleaning up your diet and focusing on just like decreasing that, that's when you will see decreases in your weight loss um, once that inflammation is addressed. So nutrition and lifestyle really have a great impact on the diversity of your microbiome and your susceptibility to gain weight or weight loss or like just overall like obesity and you just really need to make sure that you're eating like a variety of plant-based foods, an array of colors, like those prebiotic fibers. Like everything you do, everything you can do to enhance your gut microbiome function is what you should really focus on, and that will that will have a great impact on your weight loss journey.
1: Yeah, no, that's awesome. I um I resonate with that a lot, and I think that a lot of our our listeners will as well, uh, just because they. Uh, originally, when they start eating a lot more food, they almost immediately uh, – uh, like a lot better, like they clean up their diet, working with us. Yeah. They see, mm-hmm. boom, like a five-pound decrease. And it's like we know that there's no way you lost five pounds in three days of body fat. Yeah. Um, you know, yeah. it's uh, – there are yeah. some anti-inflammatory things that you were doing to your body for so long that you're either holding on to water. That's why it's very important to like not just look at the scale. But also look at like your pictures and how you're feeling, how your clothes are fitting. You yeah, know exactly. Because you don't know where that stuff the the weight is coming from. Is it coming from water? Is it glycogen storage? You know, like what mm-hmm. is, you know, mm-hmm. is it is is your gut getting getting cleaned out? Like what are some of these things that uh, or other things that hold hold weight uh, in the body besides body fat right. um, and muscle and stuff right, like exactly. that? Exactly. I do want to end with this last question and then I'll obviously have you like sort of introduce where people can find you and stuff. Do you know how alcohol affects the gut? Because like the majority, of, even myself, like <laughs> I drink like once a week, like most people, mm-hmm. a bottle of wine, you know, with, with uh, Rebecca, my wife, and like what the hell am I doing to myself when I'm, <laughs> when I'm doing
0: yeah. Oh gosh. Um yeah. You weren't ready for that. <laughs> you weren't ready for
1: that.
0: <laughs> no, I wasn't, but you know, it's it's funny. It's it's interesting to talk about cuz like as like knowing as much as I do, like I also have a couple drinks. Like I'm not a robot. Like <laughs> I like to go out with some friends.
1: You're drinking some spiked like, eggnog like, egg right, right now. Yeah.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no. Like let's be real. Like I'm human. But um unfortunately, alcohol has no good effect whatsoever on anything so in terms of gut health it's really wiping out your good bacteria so it's allowing those pathogenic bacteria and those bad bacteria to thrive which is of course something you don't want to do so it's essentially contributing to that dysbiosis which leads to everything else that i mentioned as far as um you know like food sensitivities you know constipation, diarrhea, like just pain, like overall, like physical pain. So it's not something that you really want to do that often. But then also alcohol contributes to something called leaky gut, like I spoke about. So it's really damaging the lining of your you know, of your gut, which is contributing to all the other issues that I mentioned, like food sensitivities, you don't know where they came from, or like an autoimmune reaction, things like that. So, and then it's just depleting your nutrient storage as well. So depletion of the nutrients uh, has a bad effect on your gut health as well, because that's what the good bacteria thrive on. So again, like you really, you really do want to limit (laughs) your alcohol intake as much as possible in terms of when you're trying to like keep your gut happy and healthy.
1: Awesome. That's, uh, that's uh, what I wanted to hear. Uh, well, I yeah. didn't, I didn't want to hear it, but the, I know that it's, not, <laughs> No, I know it's true. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yeah. Um, oh my God, this was, uh, like so informative. I think that our listeners are going to love this and, um, yeah, we're definitely looking forward to having you on again to talk more specifically about some of these gut health issues, you know, because it is uh something that is affecting people in a multifaceted way with weight loss, uh with feeling good, with their overall health and their wellness. And I think the more uh topics we have related to this and the more information we put out, the more people can understand that, you know, it's it's not really just about fitting in your macros and eating whatever you want. There are repercussions to that. Um, if you don't mm-hmm. think that uh, different foods, like foods are created differently, and not all foods are created equal, um, you're an idiot <laughs> because <their> foods foods. <laughs> I mean, that's just the reality, right? Like. Uh, yeah. The,
0: yeah. No, you're right. Yeah.
1: The carbs from ice cream are, are the same as the carbs from a banana, but the stuff that's in the ice cream is severely affecting uh, other metabolic processes in the body. Exactly. And
0: exactly. That's,
1: that starts with. <laughs> Um, your gut. So um, yeah, if you're like a bodybuilder and you don't care about your health, like 10 years down the road, then by all means, like eat whatever you want to get your macros in. But if uh, I think the majority of people are worried about more than that. So um, yeah, I, I appreciate you coming on today, Lauren, and uh, I'm super excited for you to be a CBG coach. I look forward to learning a crap ton more about this and for uh, for <laughs> us to talk, uh, you know, just more about gut health and, and helping empower our clients to, to feel better look better, uh, and do better, you know?
0: Yeah. Thank you so much for having me on. I really, I really enjoyed this and I I can't wait to do it again. This was, this was fun. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Yeah. It was a lot of fun. Tell people where they can find you. Uh, I know they can find CBG, um, and then they can get to you, but how else can they find you on social media and stuff?
0: Um, so I mainly just hang out on Instagram so you can find me. My handle is non um exactly how it sounds. So N-O-N-T-O-X nutrition right. on Instagram.
1: Awesome. So they can find you directly, message her on there if you guys have any questions or want to know more about gut health or autoimmune-based diseases that affect the gut. And um, yeah, we hope to see you guys next week. Uh, CBG Radio, we're out. Thanks for listening.